Welcome everyone to season three, episode 113 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. Um, pretty exciting week that happened, or last weekend that happened, the Premier League. We got finally, I would say probably one of the best top six matches of the Premier League season. I think there's there have been a couple other good ones, but um, it was a Tottenham-Manchester United match. We got to jump right into it because it was so much drama, so many talking points, and just so much... Um, like I said, drama that happened in this game. Manchester United came back 1-0 down to beat Tottenham 3-1 in a very exciting game. Um, and in a lot of ways, it was a indictment of how Tottenham have, have been under Mourinho, where they start off really well and then they, ta- they basically taper off and can't hold on to the lead. And that's what happened with Tottenham this game. Not with a bunch of con- there was a bunch of controversy. Uh, I really don't know where to start because it was it was a really good result for Manchester United, but it was another comeback win for them, but I, I don't know where to start, Tyler. I don't know. Maybe you can help me help guide me here. I don't know what, what's like the best way to, I guess, start this, uh, start the talking point on this game. Because you know, as a Manchester United fan, I'm super excited because they came back to beat um, Mourinho and came back to beat Spurs. I would say, yeah, you kind of went straight into it with the result because in the reverse reverse fixture, oh it gosh. was six one to Tottenham. So there's a lot for Manchester United going into this match to not only remain in the number two position in that table Mm -hmm. but also for Tottenham to try and you know get get into that top four race because they're right behind Liverpool West Ham and Chelsea so this is a crucial match and they haven't really had that much great form in the past few weeks so this could be a great turning point for them to do it but sure enough couldn't do it. <laughs> they came back. United came back. We're in the jersey United right here. Back. And Fred scored. Yes. That's probably what we talked about. Literally Fred. <laughs> like Mech Fred came up and they showed out today. They showed out um, on uh, on Sunday. I was texting Tyler when um, in the first half when Fred was passing the ball because Fred can sometimes be very horrible when it comes to passing. But I have to give him a lot of credit. I think he played pretty well in this game. And that build up to, the, um, to, his, to his goal um, was really good. He did a... He basically it was really good link up play, and then once the ball went to Cavani, he just kept following his run, and he was played on side by the Tottenham defenders, and just you know was there in the right spot, and it was able to slot it in to make it. Um, I believe at that point it was one one mm-hmm. um, to make it one one, but it was a huge goal from him. And then I think I have to point out there's multiple people I have to point out at least for Manchester United perspective: Luke Shaw, Paul Pogba, Edison Cavani. The McFred partnership, I think I could say like the whole squad, but I wanted to pick out those particular people. And I want to start off with Paul Pogba because I believe he had probably one of the best games of his um, of this season for Manchester United because he was so crucial and so dominant in this game because I would say Tottenham did a really good job of kind of holding down Bruno Fernandes and um, stifling his creativity. So it was a lot of the creativity was down to Paul Pogba and Tottenham had no answer for it. I remember in the reverse fixture, Tengui Ndombele did a really good job of neutralizing Paul Pogba. And he was kind of like the star Frenchman in the midfield. And I think a lot of people were saying, was like, man, Ndombele is better than Paul Pogba. There was some conversation going around when it comes to Spurs fans about that. But Paul Pogba showed off why he is uh, one of the best midfielders in the game when he's on his form and is able to play well because he was just immense. Luke Shaw, I think... What I think the performance of Luke Shaw is just an indictment of how this club and I would say this squad has transformed under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer compared to what it was when Mourinho was there. Because I don't know if you remember, 
Luke Shaw and Mourinho don't have the best uh, relationship, I would say. Mourinho definitely scolded Luke Shaw a lot. And I remember, I think it was the 17-18 season when Luke Shaw started an FA Cup game and he performed really well. But Mourinho in the post-game interview basically said, yeah, so what? I was basically telling him what to do the entire game, like telling him to run, go forward, come back, say defending. And Luke Shaw probably had one of his best games Um yesterday or on Sunday against Tottenham and there was one ball where he basically played it outside the boot pass and like it almost turned into a goal for Manchester United but Luke Shaw was immense McFred was immense Cavani showing off why he is uh has been one of the top strikers in Europe um probably hasn't been like the best of the best but he's definitely been up there in terms of like a quality striker really showed off why he is uh he's one of the best um one of the best that has uh been in that position for the past couple years so Overall, it was a fantastic display from Manchester United. And, you know, it was great to see Mason Greenwood get the final goal to wrap things up. But, um, yeah, it was just hands down quality display from United, just top to bottom. Everyone was just on point doing everything they needed to do to get the win. I was actually kind of cheering on Manchester United this game, too, because, you know, Tottenham are right behind Liverpool in that, you know, top four race. So I was like, all right, if anything to make Tottenham a little bit worse, I'll take it. And it was just funny enough just seeing Luke Shaw kind of run along the sideline too, where Jose Mourinho was during the second half because, you know, I feel like the origins of fat Luke Shaw stemmed from him being coached by Jose Mourinho. Like, I feel like Jose Mourinho might have made that meme. <laughs> it's just He was the one who actually in- inceptioned that meme out of everyone's brains. It's just like, you know what? I'm going to make him look bad. And then sure enough, now he's looking good. And Cavani also got... I would say kind of like a surprise start. Like usually it's, you know, someone else like Martial is injured, of course. So Cavani had to do it and he had a pretty good, go- pretty good game. And his goal his diving header goal. Yeah, that was great. That was crazy. Like Greenwood super sub came on. Wait, he was a super sub, right? Yeah. Yeah. He came on as a sub and then he just that kind of cross on his. He's left footed. So no, that, that's a strong foot. <laughs> yeah, his <laughs> left foot is technically a strong tell. foot, but like he has his both of his feet. Like he's so like he's so dominant on both of his feet that he can shoot from either feet. Greenwood can. So mm-hmm. it was like a in first FIFA. time cross, just like whipped it in, and then Cavani was there, like instinctual, just like striker's instincts comes in and just does a diving header, and no chance to stop that. It literally was like straight FIFA because like five star weak foot, and then diving header with <laughs> Cavani. I was like, dang, that was actually crazy but i do want to mention the kind of controversial play that happened yes. in this game where it was mctominay kind of slapping Hyungmin son in the face prior to a goal being set up for manchester united and it was called back for a foul on mctominay because yeah. he swung his arm out and then you put son to the ground and son was just there on the ground for quite a while until all of his teammates helped him up and it prompted Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the very end at the post-match, you know, conference to mention. He's like, if, you know, my son was yeah, on the ground, he's not going to feed him. He's like, he's not going to get any food if it takes 10 teammates to get him up. And then Jose Mourinho in oh, his he press took conference. took it so literally. He was he just took like, it very literally. He was like, I'm glad son has a better father than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm like, oh, you're missing the point. I'm like, mate, what? And then he was like, <laughs> he like Jose Mourinho went deep into it. He was like, you know, a father, no matter what happens to their son, has to, to always feed, feed their kids. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, what are we talking about? Are we talking? <laughs> is this a game or is this 
Still, is it, she just went way deep in that analogy. And I was like, we're not, we kind of lost the plot here. <laughs> like, exactly. What's he on about? And it just, um, I, I wanted to bring you back to that call. I think, first of all, that was a, it shouldn't have been ruled. Um, VAR shouldn't have ruled that as a foul. Because if you see to the buildup of that play, Sun was basically grabbing or almost about to grab um, McTominay. And instinctually, if someone is trying to grab you, your natural instinct is to kind of like, you know, brush them off. And his hand hit him. And I know a lot of people were upset about it because it's now gotten to the point where the main referee, when they were on site, when the play was happening live, didn't think that was a foul. They just let the play go on. And then VAR comes in and basically rules that it's a foul. And I think, um, and I, you know, this has happened to United against United. I know there was a play against West Brom where um, I think it was like the West Brom offender was basically holding on to Victor Lindelof's shirt and it wasn't ruled a foul. And we've seen multiple instances in the past couple of years where VAR has come in and ruled a, basically called something a foul when it doesn't even look like a foul. Or it's basically one of those ticky tacky fouls where when you go into instant replay and like zoom in and slow everything down, then yeah, everything looks like a foul. I mean, we see it with American football, with the NFL, where, yeah, things look worse when it's slowed down all the way. But then people realize like, oh, you can't judge something when it's just slowed down all the way. You have to just look at it real time sometimes and determine it from there. And I think um, United were, un, were uh, I would say, wrongly let go of a of a goal to open, open things up. And I thought it was funny, too, that Son was the one that ended up scoring the opening goal of the match for Tottenham. And I remember... Um, a lot of United fans were really upset. They were just like, wow, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't need an infirmary room after Ninibi helped out to the hospital after his like antics, <laughs> the McTominay slap. Um, but it was a, it was a, it was an interesting call. And I think uh, Mourinho's comments, um, I guess we wanted to jump it on to like Tottenham, but Mourinho's comments, um, they were a little worrying because he did a lot of deflecting and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of deflecting. He didn't really take ownership of the, uh, of the match about him losing it. He basically deflected. I didn't, I didn't see him put a lot of blame on his players, but it was a lot of deflecting and a lot of um, lack of ownership. And the comment about Oligona Solskjaer and him basically firing back and taking it very literally, it just kind of shows that I think he's a, he, um, he knows that he's kind of in a, like deep water trouble with Tottenham right now. And doing that is kind of his way of just like deflecting the question and deflecting the uh, main argument and talking points away from the actual result of the match and uh, um, kind of making it a game where it's like Mourinho versus Solskjaer now instead of Tottenham versus Manchester United. I mean, that's always been the case with Jose Mourinho. It's, it's never his fault. Yeah. And he always kind of targets certain players that he just doesn't like. <laughs> and I feel like the one who takes the brunt of it right now is probably going to be Davidson Sanchez. And I mean, there has been times where Davidson Sanchez is the guy who's make, <laughs> made the big mistake. And it doesn't yeah. help if you're your boss, your manager is just going to throw you under the bus. It's like, yeah, he made that mistake. He's not going to play again. Or like he would, <laughs> he would throw people under the bus that he wanted when he was at Manchester United, like Eric Dyer, I believe he wanted to pursue him while he was still at Manchester United and bring him from Tottenham. And now he's like, all right, now I don't want Eric Dyer. Or, yeah. You know, Serge Aurier, for example. Then one they of bought like, Matt Doherty for a reason. And then they keep playing Serge Aurier. Or exactly. Yeah. Or, or they put, you know, Tanganga at right back. Yeah, and they had the youngster at center back, Rondon, I think, or Rodon. Rodon. Yeah, Ro- yeah Rodon um, from Swansea. Yeah, and, and they, they dropped Alderweireld, which is, you know, you know his performance haven't been the best. But I, I just think it's so funny because I remember 
I literally, I remember all the time when Mourinho was at Manchester United and I think whenever they had to play Tottenham, he would always compliment about like how much he liked the Tottenham squad with like all the players they had with the, you know, the center back partnership, um, the striker with, you know, Harry Kane, Deli Ali, um, Hyun Min Son. Like he loved that squad. He always talked about how much he loved it. And now I just think it's really funny how... Now he's basically saying like, oh, I don't, the squad isn't good enough. And that's basically what he says. He's been throwing basically all of his defenders and all of his players under the bus and saying this squad isn't good enough. And I remember last week when um, a reporter asked him like, what's the difference from, you know, your past, your past um, seasons where you would set up shop and just be able to defend. And he was like, same coach, different players. I'm like, if that is such, (laughs) that is such a disrespectful thing to say to your group of players, the players that you're supposed to be leading. Um, it, it, you know, maybe he could got away, he could have gotten away with that comment, you know, ten years ago when you know I would say you had different, I guess, mentality in terms of certain players. But the way the modern game is going and the way people are approaching sports in general in the modern age, you can't really say that anymore. Like a lot of players now need like the hand, you know, the hug or the arm over their shoulder and like supporting them and giving them that support. And yeah, you can still be like grilling them, but do it in private where you're not calling them out in public. And it just kind of shows that Mourinho, Mourinho's ways, they're just, they just can't work. I would say in the the modern game, they're just not his, his whole approach of like motivating people is not, is the wrong way to do it. Just like negative yeah. reinforcement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he thrives off like hoping that people would take the negative reinforcement and kind of push back and be like, no, that's not what it is. But, um, as to a certain degree that works, but having too much negative reinforcement is not a good thing. It's not very uh, good for the mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say Yash likes to mention this a lot, where it's just like back in October or November, around then, it's, that's when Tottenham were going off. They're like top of the table. Yeah, they went top of the league, yeah. They were riding a high. And so was our good friend, listener, Sung Min, who's just <laughs> thinking like they're going to win the title and everything. Fast forward to now, Nearing the end of the season with about you know seven games left, Tottenham are probably struggling to make Europa League. Yeah. And, and they know, got knocked out of Europa League by a manager that was in Europa prison. League. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? The opposition manager was in prison at yes. the time where Zagreb, I, I believe a Zagreb. Yeah. Animal uh, Zagreb knocked him out. But I mean, at this point, you know, we we know what as neutrals we have towards Tottenham. But like even for the fans, I know Sung Min's just been saying he's like he's he wants to stop supporting Spurs at this point. <laughs> not a true fan saying that, man, but <laughs> he's predicting that they're not gonna win another trophy in the next ten years. And That's he crazy. thinks that Harry Kane is gonna leave. And maybe even Sun now at this point. But I'm thinking no one can really afford either of them unless you're Man City or some other, you know, powerhouse new money team. Mm-hmm. But I, I can see that as well, though. I can see Harry Kane leaving for, you know, possibly going for a trophy because yeah. it ain't going to happen at Tottenham. I mean, even if they win the Carabao Cup against Man City, is that really worth it at that point? It's like I've been saying the whole season. It's like, you know what? If they win one trophy, it'll be worth it. But then even the Tottenham fans are like, it's just Carabao We won Cup. at what cost? I know. It's like at what cost? It's like it, we couldn't win anything else. It's just Carabao Cup. And... I I I, be, I know we're about to like go into that topic talking point about uh, Kane and Son, but I I really wanted to bring it back real quickly um, with Mourinho because um, Mourinho is also a big talking point in, in all of this. Is that 
he has on his bench. I remember in this bench in this game, he had Gareth Bale, Deli Ali, and he doesn't play them. Like he barely starts either of them. And obviously, um, there's other reasons for it. But then he's bringing on Eric Lamella to come off the bench. I'm like, why are you bringing Eric Lamella off the bench? Like that guy. Like, why out of him? Like, and I think a lot of Spurs fans I saw on Twitter were pretty upset. They're like, why do we have, and even, anal- you know, um, uh, the pundits were also questioning, like, you have Gareth Bale, you have Deli Ali, you have some of these really good attacking players, but he's just not utilizing them. He's not using them in the right way or bringing them on or using them at all. And I think uh, uh, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense. And, I, you know, what I'm seeing right now with Mourinho is what I saw at Manchester United in his final season where he's just basically throwing whatever at throwing whatever at the wall and hoping something sticks, like playing Ander Herrera, Scott McTominay at center back, playing, uh, dropping Alexi Sanchez, dropping Lukaku, playing Martial at left wing, Rashford, calling him out, um, playing, calling Paul Pogba out and playing Scott McTominay. Um, you know, not playing Fred, it, you know, playing Matteo Darmian and Ashley Young and, you know, Antonio Valencia. It's literally everything I'm seeing at Tottenham. I'm like, I experienced this as a Manchester United fan and I feel sorry for them. But also, you know, you know, you had to know what you're getting yourself into when you bring Mourinho. It's you have to know this is what you're going to get. He will bring you some high highs, but he'll bring you some really terrible lows. Um, and it's it it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> coming someone it's, that experienced it is someone that experienced it so i know i know how you guys are feeling it sucks <laughs> the way yosh speaks about the joe's Mourinho experience is the same as me talking about the brendan rogers experience <laughs> and just like telling lester fans is like you ain't you ain't winning nothing <laughs> like, he didn't win anything at liverpool so it's like i don't think he's gonna do it at lester but that's that's a different point but mm-hmm. i don't know you had the question yosh where it's should Mourinho get sacked at the, end of the, at the end of the season? Or do you think they should give him more money to get that, you know, war chest of defenders that he mm-hmm. wants? So I, if uh, I, will, I will say this, there have been reports that apparently like Tottenham have been looking to bring Maurizio Sarri to be their manager, or uh, which would be interesting. There's been a couple reports that they've been um, kind of looking over this transfer for about a month now. But if I was just looking at it, I think Daniel Levy, he made the big call of letting go of Maurizio Pochettino, the guy that built the project, that built the foundation, letting him go and bringing in Mourinho to win trophies. I still think that even though it's really bad right now, I feel like just let him have this summer. Let's see with the amount of funds you have, see what he can bring in in terms of maybe bringing up like um, the defenders and such and see where he can go from there because... um, Right now, it's just, I, I don't know too many top managers that would want to come to Tottenham right now, you know, at, at this position. You know, may, maybe when Maurizio Pochettino was there, it was a different story. But now where Mourinho kind of has brought this club, I don't know too many top managers that want to go there. Like, why would you want to take on this project knowing that Mourinho has basically kind of not burnt it to the ground, but has done some interesting things to it. So I would say if you're Daniel Levy, I would be on the side of... um uh, let him have the summer. Let him bring in. Let let him bring in some players and see where he can go from there. Because um, at, at least at that point, you're like, okay, at least we gave him like the maximum amount of time we could. Mm. I will say though, this is probably the best Tottenham team they're gonna have. I mean, not even it's not even the best it was. Like I would say a couple seasons ago when Deli Ali, Christian Eriksen, yeah, all of them were also still there firing. And also, we had Vertonghen 
and yeah, Elder Wild oh. in the back. So I feel like they're already past their prime. Mm-hmm. Like once Kane and Son kind of pass by and kind of roll away from being like the prime two in this starting eleven, that's when it's going to be a rebuild again. So I already feel like at this point you're kind of just having to say if they're not winning it this season or next season or maybe even the season after it, it's, it's done. It's done. <laughs> you, you missed your that, window. That is true. Cause I don't know of, uh, even like with their youth, um, Academy, I don't see too many like youth attacking players that come from the Tottenham system, at least starting in the starting 11. Usually it's like you see defenders or like the random midfielder, like Harry Winks or, mm-hmm. you know, like Rodon and Tangenga. Um, I just haven't seen any like youthful attackers that have come up. Like Liverpool have certain players coming up the academy. I know Man City have Phil Foden. Manchester United have like Greenwood and uh, other players that come up to the ranks. Um, even Chelsea have like different players that come through their ranks. Um, for Tottenham, I just don't. Who's that star or like that up and coming like future promising like really that's supposed to like carry the club for the next couple of years? I I don't see that. You know. If I'm just looking on the outside, I'm not a Tottenham like supporter, so I don't know obviously the ins and outs of everything. But just looking generally on the outside, you never hear about the youngsters. It's always just like Harry Kane and Hyunmin Son. That's it, the prime. That's it, you know. I mean, that's usually how it is with Jose Mourinho. He doesn't like the youngsters, <laughs> and I will say, even with Jose Mourinho right now, it's not great for the youngsters because they just tied to Newcastle, a team that's fighting relegation last week too. Yeah. And they were winning. They were winning 2-1 yeah. and then they they conceded a last five minute of the game on a goal to have it draw even. Mm-hmm. And that kind of mentality to not finish games to, you know, have this full so concentration. Crazy. It's so crazy because Jose Mourinho for the longest time was the finisher. He was the guy. You go 1-0 up, he's going to set up shop and you're going to win the game. Um, and it is, it's not working. It's not working this season. It's just, it is his formula has kind of like gone away. His secret yeah, sauce kind of, is, is not good now. Yeah. <laughs> it's been busted. It's been busted. So honestly, for me right now, it's kind of like if this was an NFL analogy, it's if you have like, you know, the quarterback, like, I mean, you know, Atlanta Falcons is like, yeah, Matt Ryan It's like, do you keep him or do you move on and rebuild and rebuild? Even though you know you have like a couple years left for sure. And that's kind of like literally what Tottenham are like right now. He's like, you know, you have Kane potentially still. There's no you sure still thing that you find another Harry Kane either. You know, there's no way you're going to find another Harry Kane that quickly. They don't grow on trees. Yeah. And, you know, Hugo Lloris, the captain, he's like 33, 34. Yeah. Toby Aldegaro, I think is 32 now or 31. He's out of here already. Yeah. He's on the bench. So uh, their squad I mean, is aging. only going to get worse. Sissoko yeah, is getting aging. old. Sissoko is getting old. Eric Lamella is not getting any younger. Gareth Bale wants to go back to Real Madrid. Just use this as like a, a season retreat back to Tottenham. <laughs> um, Lucas Mora is not, I, he's not like super, he's like what, 28? He's he's hitting, he's at his prime. Um, the, yeah, like you said, the squad isn't getting any younger. And that brings a question. I guess like the main question about this was there was a report um, before the Manchester United game from the Athletic that Harry Kane, if they don't secure Champions League qualification, would want to leave and go to a club that has Champions League. And then there was also um, talks about Hyunmin Son basically leaving. And the pro- the question we wanted to bring is like, do you think both of them will leave or one of them will leave? And we kind of came to the conclusion that, yeah, I think for the best of their career that they probably should leave. But the problem is because of the pandemic, not every club or basically no club has like 120 million to just cash out 
like that. Um, like Barcelona's in debt, like debt problems. Real Madrid obviously always has money, but like they obviously have to be smart about it because you know you don't have ticket sales and everything. Bayern Munich don't need a striker; they have Robert Lewandowski. So it's uh, a lot of the big clubs that you would think would want to go after Harry Kane. They either don't need him or they just don't have the money to afford it. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of like that situation that we we talked about last week with Declan Rice, where it's you know everyone would want a Declan Rice on their team, but this is going to be their superstar. And yeah. this is even more compounding on top of that because, you know, Declan Rice maybe could be 70 million pounds, 80 million pounds. Harry Kane, he's probably going to be close, not Mbappe money, but... He's going to be like close to world record. Like not yeah, Neymar money, but like British world record fees, you know? Mm-hmm. It's going to be like 120, 130 million pounds because yeah, this expensive. is prime Harry Kane. You're going to get a lot of goals from him that season. Yeah. And it's like if you want to win something that season, you get Harry Kane. So you're going to basically pay for a trophy at that point. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's not even really guaranteed because I feel like the one player that developed really well under Jose Mourinho is Harry Kane. So right yeah. now, his he's at his peak yeah. Kane. Like, this is the most he's going to be. Mm-hmm. Like he has the most goals and assists. Or no, he has the most assists in the Premier League as a striker, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So like this kind of selling point, if they want to sell high, they would do now. But like I don't even know they have anyone... That's willing to buy. And would they, and would pers- they be willing to let him go too? It's not like they have to let him go either. You know? That's true. It's it's kind of different since uh, in soccer, at least, I feel like the club has more ownership over yeah. the player. The player can still decide just to, you know, pout and not play. Yeah. But like, like the club just, doesn't have to sell him and be like, you exactly. still gotta, like, you're still contracted. But um, I guess in like the American sports league, like NBA and NFL, you could pretty much, you'd be like, no, I want to get out of here now. And then like, if you don't play, it's just like, oh, crap. Like, we need to get rid of him now. Um, so, I, I agree with you. I think the problem is not no – basically, no club has the money. And I know there were talks about maybe some people were saying Manchester United should go out and get a Harry Kane. I'm just saying this now. No. Harry Kane, getting a striker, even though Harry Kane is world-class level, we don't need him. We need to prioritize getting a right winger and a CDM. Because we need to balance out the squad. If we get a Harry Kane at Manchester United, it would be awesome, but it would be it would be leaving the squad with such an imbalance. Because then you're basically relying on like, can we just win the league with the Harry Kane and just like having McFred and like other the right wing position not settled? That's not the way to do it. Don't do it that way. Get the right winger. Get the CDM. Harry Kane. It, it won't happen. It's I don't want it to happen. It would be nice to happen, but. It, it would just leave the squad at, like at such an imbalance, I would say. Uh, as a Liverpool fan, I would take him. <laughs> but there's no way we <laughs> can afford him. you guys need can, a striker, though. You guys need a striker. We need a striker so bad. But, I mean, there's a lot of options out there. But at the same time, we're kind of struggling for money, ironically enough. <laughs> but, I mean, it is what it is. So, I think Harry Kane, unfortunately, I think despite you wanting to leave, I think you're going to be stuck there until... You kind of devalue and then become more affordable and it doesn't help that he's kind of already in his prime age so yeah. it's not like he's gonna do a, a vardy and then just get better mm-hmm. or like like wine and get better of age yeah i think at this point it's just like you're gonna have to just change the way he plays later on yeah and usually like it's still good like you know when ronaldo did that you know it's still good but it's not as good yeah so we'll see uh, but yeah, th- th- there's a there's a lot of question marks surrounding this Tottenham team, and it didn't help that they um, they got 
basically defeated again by another big club, Manchester United, coming back to beat them 3-1. It was a, a lot of controversy and a lot of talking points that came out of that. But um, another game that I would say had a decent amount of talking points, but it was another VAR um, call on this one, was Liverpool beating Aston Villa 2-1. Trent scoring the game-winning goal at basically at the death, just um, a corner kick came in and just like, you know, striked it with his, uh, with his right foot, trusty right foot, and um, went in, and it was a... Big boost of confidence for the uh, right back because I think he played pretty well today. Obviously, they got knocked out of the Champions League against Real Madrid, but big, big, uh, big boost of confidence for the young right back for England. Um, but there was VAR controversy, Tyler, and I remember we were texting about it. But I guess I'll let you let you take the show on this one. You know, Diogo Jota he was called offside for a run when he was through on goal, but when we looked at the call, when we looked at the lines being drawn. He was behind the line and yeah. I was like, oh, he's set. You know, it's not going to be offside, but they still called it. And I was like, all right, at what point is it offside now? Because I yeah. thought that was for sure. If you're behind the line instead of in yeah. front of it, it or like if you're past the last defender, you're offside. But if you're still behind him, makes then no you're sense. onside. And he was, from what I saw visually, he was behind the defender. He should have been still onside, but I don't know what kind of lines they're drawing, what kind of thought process they had. But I mean... It was just so inconsistent at this point. I'm just like, what is the game anymore? The game's gone. Game's like, it gone. Literally, it's just lack of consistency and just it doesn't help that the viewer, even I would say Yush and I are more than the average viewer of the Premier League, you know, because like we even talk about it on like a whole podcast like this. <laughs> but like if someone like us two can't figure out why or like what's going on. Yeah. Or like kind of understand what the thought process was. That doesn't help. Like at yeah. least in like other sports. You know, at least I keep seeing videos of the Australian league having a feed into the referee's mic just yeah. to hear what their thought process is, what they're saying. And at times you can hear the response from like the other players. It's like, what, what was that call? And then they'd be like, oh, it's because like, you know, you're offside for like this reason. It's our call. But like there's so little communication and clarity from the referees to not only the players, but like yeah, to the it's coaches. like a referee in like London or something, just like looking at a TV box, and then like you have the 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 main referee on the pitch, and then he's like, okay, like he gets a buzz that he needs to go look at it. He go looks in the box, and it's just you know, it, like you said, it's just like lack of communication a lot of times, and just yeah, like it's you, just like how do you what is the thought that? process? You know, yeah. So it's and it's not helping the referees either because they're just getting scolded and roasted on Twitter and all the social media is like, how the heck did he come up with that? It was like, was he looking with his ears? Just like, you didn't even look with his eyes. What the heck was that? So, I mean, I was even a part of it too. I was, I was like, why? Yeah. How do you, why? why? What? And I was thinking, you know, Liverpool, we're just cursed. It's just like, we just have to lose to Villa. It's just how it is, huh? But I mean, in the end, Liverpool came back and won. Trent Alexander-Arnold from the left side for some reason <laughs> came in and whipped it in. But I mean, I think this game really helped Liverpool with a slight boost going into the top four race. But at the same time, it kind of revealed another fault, another another error from yeah. VAR. And this is something that I feel like is more prominent in the Premier League. Yeah, like, You don't the, hear other the, leagues really complaining about it as much. The way the Premier and, League does it is different. And I... um. They were talking about it. Um, one pundit had said that um, it might even be worth just scrapping it for a whole year 
and getting the whole process and the whole system just revamped and then bringing it back the the following year um, just so that we get it correct. And they said like, nobody would be like that hurt about it because, you know, we would rather have a system that is good and we know the, the, the process that goes behind it rather than having a super flawed instant replay system, essentially. And that's currently mm-hmm. what the Premier League has. And I think the Premier League, it's not good for the product as a whole because you see people on Twitter talking about the, the product of the Premier League is getting dumbed down and, you know, um, basically scrutinized for the league that's supposed to be one of the best, the, the best league in the world. You have these really weird calls being called and it's, it just doesn't look good for uh, the, the product as a whole for the Premier League. Exactly. And a lot of people were saying it's, it's not really VAR itself. It's like the people doing the VAR. Mm-hmm. So if just the other leagues can just come over to England and, you know, show Mike Dean, you know, Jonathan <laughs> Moss, what's up? <laughs> Maybe it could help. But yeah. at the same time, something there's some foundational issue yeah. with how the Premier League managers ref. Make it make sense. I think sense. that's the key. That's the bigger note. Yeah. And I don't know if we have the power to really... like you know bring that to light but i think as more and more people kind of figure that out it's like okay maybe that is the case Mm -hmm. it's kind of like uh, i can get really political but like you know that's just what i think it is i think it's just foundational thing just in terms of the education of how the referees kind of are taught to referee at least in england yeah my 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 one of the things i always hate the most is the build-up um play goals that are called off because of a buildup that a, a foul that happened in the buildup. I'm not talking strictly on the McTominay goal, McTominay thing, but there's been other instances in the past where there's been like this really weird, like wishy-washy foul and it doesn't directly relate to the other team scoring, but it's like the other team played like multiple passes and everything. And then they go back and check it and they're like, okay, the goal has to get chalked off because of some random foul that happened 10 passes ago or five passes ago. And I'm like, at that point, what are we doing here? You know, then it's just like, why we're just like going back and just whatever goal that happens, we're just going to keep going back and like looking like, Oh, this person like had a random like push. Let's, uh, let's review this and call it back. I don't really agree with that because at that point when the passes have gone and even if the player's still on the ground, the other team still has a chance to get coordinated and, you know, reposition themselves to get in front of that goal and stop it. But, um, that's one thing that always annoys me is just the, um, going back and checking those random fouls that happened in the build-up play that happened maybe four or five or ten passes ago. It, it, I don't know. I That always bugs me because it's just like you're ruining the uh, the product. You're ruining the game by doing that, you know? It made the game very technical. Yeah. And I don't even feel like American football, it, which is one of the most like microscopically... Yeah, instant replay like, on... Oh, like, like everything. Inst- yeah, literally everything. Like I don't even think they go back that far like yeah. once the next play hits it's like all right that's it it's like it's, it's done the, the previous yeah. play is already done like you can't it's look back history. at it again yeah you can't it's go back history. and do anything um so i wish something would be implemented where we stop that because i i do agree that at a, that at a certain point then you can just literally go back and be like okay like this random person got hit in the eye like randomly and then it's like or this a random person got pushed and it's like okay we gotta let's see what we can do with call it back and i'm like i don't agree with that keep mm-hmm. keep like the game what it is. That's why so many people love soccer is that it's this free flowing game that you can't really get at any other sport, you know? So, uh, right. It's it's just like, like Tyler said, it's like a structural problem that kind of needs a foundational change. I would say, um, especially in the English Premier League, but, uh, VAR, it's been a topic of discussion for 
this podcast for last season. Uh, it's always always main topic of discussion, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to quickly mention Liverpool real quickly. Jamie Carragher um, mentioned a lot of the, he mentioned basically saying that a lot of talk has been made about Liverpool's defense, about the combinations and change up and everything. But he said the main problem this year has been Liverpool's trio, the front three or the fab three, as they would say, of Firmino, Salah, and Mane. And he mentioned that a lot of clubs, when it comes to their trios, they don't stick it together like that often or together this long. And I think Jamie was basically saying that it's been like four or five seasons now um, mm-hmm. that they've all been together. And he said that you he can tell that they're getting a little bit of a burnout period with the front three, and they're not performing at their highest level. And he basically said that they need to go out and kind of re replenish the squad and get new attackers in to kind of, I don't know, change up the front three, but also take over their spots. Because as Tyler, we've talked about offline is that they are kind of, they're, they're in their prime, but they're kind of approaching that 30 years of age. And that's usually when players start to dip off. But um, I wanted to hear your take real quickly on that about um, if, uh, if the front three has kind of just been, has run its course, the Firmino Sala Mane partnership. Um, I don't really think run its course has been or is is the the for sure term. I think what I saw today, at least from Klopp's substitution in the Champions League against Real Madrid in leg two, is that he brought on Diogo Jota and he kept Firmino on. So it became it went from a fab three to the the four. Yeah. And he had a four, two, three, one where it was Salah up top, Firmino in center attacking mid and then Mane on the right center attacking mid and then Diogo Jota on the left center attacking mid. So it was like that kind of four. And I feel like it's not really the point to get rid of one of them or to bring in more players to like kind of rotate between them. I think at this point, what they need is just like a new kind of setup where it's like, all right, they're not going to be the same players now as they were even two seasons ago or like three seasons ago. Because, you know, people change, people are getting older, people kind of think differently over a certain amount of time and they kind of have to adapt to it. And Klopp needs to adapt to, you know, how they play now. And, you know, Firmino these days, he doesn't really score as much. He didn't really score that much to begin with. And now these days, seeing a goal from him is like a blue moon. <laughs> Just like, what the heck, where to go? And they're not as clinical anymore like Salah today. Yeah, You know, there's a few chances that I saw that, you know, back in the days, he for sure would have slotted in easy, just made it look simple. But my, I I, not to butt in here quickly, but my, um, my biggest question is like, what happened to Monday, man? That used to be one of my favorite players like on Liverpool to watch because I think he was so different in the way he kind of attacked. He wasn't your normal, just straight up winger. I feel like Salah is more your traditional type winger. Monday to me was like a very unorthodox type of player because he would... I would say one of his best qualities, he's so good at basically stopping and then like picking up speed right away. Like his, um, his ability to just like stop and turn and pick up speed like super fast is second to none. But this season, it's just, uh, it's been really weird because he hasn't been scoring a ton and I feel like he's been like just really ineffective. So it's weird. I don't know if you've, if you know what the underlying cause for Bonnet struggling so much because it's, it's just so different because he's been lighting up the Premier League for past three seasons just in a row just on fire all the time i kind of noticed that too because when he first joined the team i kind of noticed something very 
particular about him and that his technical ability was very different. It didn't seem very polished. It It seemed like there's always something a little off from way he did certain things like the way he passed, the way he would control a ball, the way he would run with the ball, sometimes the jankiness of his body, not his body language, but his, his body shape when he tried to rip a shot or he would try to you know, do contour his body for like a pass. Mm-hmm. We're starting to not see that as much anymore. I feel like he's starting to refine his technique and it looks more like a normal player now. You yeah. don't see more like that. It's like, well, how do you shape his body to look like that? What the heck was that? <laughs> like now it just looks more like a normal person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in doing that, he kind of lost that kind of like special edge about him. Maybe that's just mind games or just me making too crazy or detailed an observation, but <laughs> It just doesn't look like the same on it. And that's kind of like that point where I was like, you know, Firmino doesn't look the same as before. Salah, he's still scoring a lot of goals, but also we're starting to not see as many of those clinical finishes where it's just, he just makes chances out of nothing at times. Or he, he, it looks, he makes a lot of chances look simple where it's just like, of course he would score that. Like everyone would, but it's like, why is he getting so many simple chances? It's because like, that's <laughs> just who he is. He just yeah. manages to find those chances and then it works. And we're starting to, to see less and less of what made all three of these players who they are throughout the season. Yeah. And it, I, I still think at the beginning of the season, I still thought they still had it. And even now, near the end of the season, I still think that spark in them is still somewhere in there. It's just there needs to be a different way to bring it out because it's not going to be the same 4 through 3 that's going to bring it out of them. Because it's crazy. It's crazy. How I mean, it's, it's not working. And yeah. even that 4 2 3 1. We saw against Real Madrid. It's that's not working either with Diogo Jota there. So I think right now, one of them might have to ride the bench for a little bit, and then you know bring in a for sure striker. Diogo Jota is a really good forward, but he's not you know an Erling Holland. He's not a Harry Kane. He's not a pure finisher. And yeah. I feel like that is something Liverpool misses the most. And that's something that you know Liverpool has missed a lot in the previous seasons. It's just been covered up by having Salah and Mane and Firmino all for some reason become clinical finishers. And, you know, they cover for each other. But now when yeah. all three can't do it consistently, then yeah, it's like, like all right, we holes. need someone who can do it consistently. Yeah. And that's just all he kind of does. Kind of like how Manchester United, they have Cavani. And, you know, he's not going to be showing up every single time. But when there's certain chances when it's like, all right, he should be able to finish it. He's the poacher. He's, you know, yeah. a reliable player that can usually do it. You know, he shows up. And that used to be Origi for us too. But now Origi is nowhere to be found. <laughs> sad, sad times but I mean that's just how it is I think Liverpool just need to find that new striker to kind of re-bring that spark out of them just get it back out and kind of change up how Liverpool are because every once in a while you kind of need that spark you kind of need that new juice and yeah. it's starting to wear them down a little bit yeah. they're still in their prime so I still believe in them it's just yeah, it needs something here. a little different Mm-hmm. off here but no that is a that's a that's an interesting take i definitely um did not see that perspective of it obviously because since i'm not a liverpool fan i'm not watching liverpool 24 7 but that's an interesting take on like the whole situation there so it was a it was a good 2-1 win they put pressure on the top four for liverpool um man city and leeds leeds potentially opened up maybe a slim chance of a title race not really but leeds no. pulled off a <laughs> ma- miraculous upset a 2-1 win basically winning it at the death Stuart dallas um, scoring the goal, I believe, but City just losing in a very shocking way. Um, and you just didn't really expect City to lose this game, but they, they did. And I think um, the gap 
it's it's still a double digit gap. It's still a double digit lead, but I still think City will win the win the title. But I I'm very happy that Leeds beat them because at least it opens up a little bit of like a can of worms, just like a small can of worms opens up. It makes it a little bit more interesting. So, um, I, I applaud I applaud Leeds. They've always been a fun watch this whole season, and they are. Uh, they definitely bring the fireworks each game they uh, each game they play. I think Leeds, even being a man down, is always the team that's, I would say for this season, is the biggest wild card. You never yeah. know if they're going to lose 5-2 or if they're going to win 2-1 against like a Man City side of 10 men. Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion, for the title race at least, Man City, I still think, got it. I still think they got it. They have a game on hand on second place Manchester United, but the gap is still 11 points. Yeah, and that kind of gap with six games remaining, seven games remaining. Yeah, it's gonna take a miracle. It's gonna be a miracle, and I don't think Pep Guardiola is gonna let something like that slip. <laughs> I don't think it's, he's gonna just all of a sudden lose half the games, or even more than half the games, and then let Men United, their noisy brothers, like to say, come through <laughs> and steal the title. So. I think it's still Man City. I think it's gonna. That's probably one of the easiest calls for the season, apart yeah. from you know Sheffield United being relegated. <laughs> so I think this is a cool result to have Leeds do it, but I don't really think too much changes from this. Yeah. No, I I agree, but it does show the uh, the the wow factor of the Premier League that a team like Leeds, who obviously aren't in the relegation battle, but no one really gave them that big of a chance to win. They managed to pull out a, a miraculous win like this, but. That's the beauty mm-hmm. of the Premier League. But we wanted to talk about West Ham, Leicester City, West Ham beating um, Leicester City 3-2. But the interesting story out of here was Jesse Lingard, Jesse Lingard, excuse me, scoring a brace. And I would say, and in the stat, I guess like for his um, goal scoring tally, he has, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Not totaled, but he has, um, he has reached the highest scoring um this is his highest scoring season in the Premier League um, throughout his all his Premier League career. And obviously the past five seasons at Manchester United, this is his best goal, goal scoring um, return. And it's funny because all of his goal goals have come since he's joined West Ham on loan in January um, as a as a loanee in the winter transfer window. So Jesse Lingard has been an enigma and he's light up and he's basically lit up the West Ham West Ham team. And I um I'm so happy for him. I I've talked about Jesse Lingard before, but it is uh it's so fun to see him just having a bunch of confidence because he's kind of I wouldn't say he's the most unorthodox player, but he's also not the most orthodox player in the way he kind of does things because he can be kind of random at times on like stuff he does, but um when he's in form, you can just tell that he's one of those players that when he's in form, he can't he can't really be stopped and uh West Ham have a have a gem of a player right there and they are gaining ground on Leicester City, who have have been on the, um, I would say, annual Brendan Rodgers slide. And I know we bring it up a lot, but Brendan Rodgers and Leicester City are in some deep trouble about in terms of qualifying for the uh, Champions League because Chelsea, Liverpool, and West Ham are right on their tails in terms of taking that third uh, third spot on the table. And if I had to make a prediction now, I think Leicester City will be out of the top four. I don't think they can hold on and uh, make it. I, I think they're missing too many players and Brendan Rodgers has a track record for not being able to get over the hump and finish the season. Man, I really got into your head. Yeah. <laughs> I really kind of convinced you that <laughs> this the is Brendan Rodgers effect is still here. This is not because, it. I mean, they still have the FA Cup. They are in the semifinals for that. And I feel like at this point, I don't know if you can really juggle both. 
they don't have really have the much as much depth. Squads hurt, injured. Yeah, squads hurt already as well. So if you were to put all your eggs in one basket, which you can't really do at this point, you know, I would go all in on the FA Cup. Or I mean, I guess in Brandon Rogers' case, you try to split it as evenly as you can because like, you know, you're still in Champions League spot. And then FA Cup is a trophy still, which Brandon Rogers still never have won a yeah. trophy. So it's like, which one do you choose? It's a, it's a tough decision. And that I'm not a manager, so I'm not going to make the decision. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> off that of that, the easy way. But I don't know. For me, it's both looking like they're both trending, like they're going to get knocked out of the FA Cup and get knocked out of top four. So it's kind of like brutal. It's, it's brutal. But I think at this point, for me, if I were him, it's like just make sure you get European competition next season. Yeah, Europa League or something. Mm-hmm. Um, at least Europa League. Yeah. But it is sad because Leicester City always does, like they've done this the past couple of seasons where they go extremely high, but they just don't have the squad depth and they just kind of fall out and falter. But West Ham, they're getting closer to the dream of potentially qualifying for Champions League. And Tyler, I want to ask really quickly, do you think they can do it? Do you think they can hold on and qualify West Ham United qualifying for the Champions League? That'd just be insane to think that they could do that. Do you think they can do it? Or do you think Chelsea and Liverpool will end up taking the last two spots for the uh, Champions League? I'm looking at their schedule for the rest of the season right now. The only top, you know, so-called big six they have left in their remaining seven games is Chelsea. Mm -hmm. And then the other remaining teams are basically teams in the bottom six. Yeah. Yeah, like Newcastle, Burnley, like bottom Brian. half of the table essentially. Yeah, bottom half of the table. The other, the only other team that's in the top half, and the remaining seven are is Everton, and Everton's kind of trending down too. Yeah, I think it's really possible just based on the ease of their of their remaining schedule, and I mean everyone's kind of rooting for them as a dark horse. Like, I want Liverpool <laughs> to get Champions League, but at the same time, this is kind of a season where. Liverpool don't have all like most of their center backs. They've been struggling the whole season. And if we don't get Champions League, it's kind of low key expected, at least from my perspective. And if West Ham get it, it'll just be funny. I don't know how far they can even get in the Champions League, but I think it'll just be cool just to see them in. Because could you imagine like, who, West Ham hosting Barcelona or Real Madrid? Yeah, that like imagine that. Imagine them coming to like Bayern Munich coming to to like the, uh, the, yeah, to the Olympic Park and West Ham hosting them. David Moyes mm-hmm. is the manager. That's crazy. That'd be honestly pretty funny. So I, I'm still rooting for them, despite them literally being competition for Liverpool for that last four spot. But my hope is that it's Man City, Man U, West Ham, and Liverpool to get Champions League. Mm-hmm. A man can dream, and it's still possible. Yeah. We'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, we, we got to see what happens, but uh, it was a big win for West Ham in, the, uh, in their hopes of the top four race. But we wanted to look at the other side of the table, the opposite side of the relegation update, because some things have happened since this past weekend in terms of giving some more clarity on what's going to happen when it comes to the relegation, relegation battle. And Newcastle, as bad as they've been this season, have somehow found a way to pick up some points and pick up some big, um, big points and some big wins. And they've now built up a six-point cushion um, over Fulham, who are in the relegation spot. So now it's Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield in the three relegation um, spots below. And Newcastle have built up the six-point cushion. And unfortunately, I think with that big of a gap, 
I think uh, Newcastle are safe, and I think the the three teams in the relegation um, spots will get relegated because I know West Brom are picking up some form right now, but I think it's a too little too late. And Fulham, man, they were so close to getting out, but they they just could not take advantage of the, uh, of the chances they had. And Scott Parker, unfortunately, will be going down to the championship once again next season. So I think Newcastle are safe. I think Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield will... Um, be packing their bags and heading to the championship. That's a big call. Yeah. But, I mean, I can see it because, you know, <laughs> these three suspects have been in that relegation For like the whole season, I feel like. For, yeah, majority of the season. I can't even remember a time when West Brom and Sheffield were not in it. So, you know, Fulham, I think, was teeter-tottering here and there. But now, after maybe even like October, it was just Fulham in there. Mm-hmm. So, this is kind of expected. This is kind of the writing has been on the wall. It's been engraved on the wall. <laughs> Whatever kind of analogy you can think of where it's just been there set in stone for a <laughs> while now. And Newcastle almost came through and kind of spray painted their name on there too. But, you know, Alan St. Maxim or yeah. St. Maximon, whatever way you say. I don't even know where the Ma- Maximon comes from. Yeah. If you just look at the spelling, but he just came through he with his headband. He came in clutch, got an assist and a goal. And he single-handedly brought him into somewhat of decent safety. The 60-year contract is coming through clutch. And Mike Ashley over there on his big lounge chair is like, yes, the one player I paid, we're good. <laughs> we're good for another season. So He's probably just like, how, how many more years can I go through this where it's like uh, I could just barely survive so we keep getting that Premier League money? Honestly, at this point, I would say not very, but I mean, for this season, they're lucky that three other teams are just doing worse than them. Yeah. So I think there's still six, seven games left for majority of these teams. You know, Fulham played 32 already, so they have a game on hand and lost. So, I mean, there's still a decent chunk of points left in the air for... West Brom or Fulham to make a miracle happen and leapfrog maybe Newcastle, Burnley, or Brighton. But as of right now, it doesn't look likely. And I would agree with you, Yush. I think Sheffield for sure are burnt toast. West Brom and Fulham, they're already toasty. Like they have a little brown on them. <laughs> and I'd say maybe in another week or two, we'll know for sure if it's burnt toast. Burnt. Just like straight up. And Sheffield could actually officially be burnt toast by the end of this um, Premier League weekend. If I think if Newcastle achieves victory um, and if Sheffield lose, they will officially be relegated um, from the Premier League this season. So uh, we might uh, might we might be getting our first official burnt toast soon. But these three teams, as Tyler said, have been in the relegation spots for this pretty much majority of the season. And it's kind of been set in stone for a while. But it was a big relegation update, a big win for Newcastle and Newcastle fans there. But... We wanted to quickly move it to the preview section. Um, we have a couple big games uh, this weekend. Not the blockbuster Big Six versus Big Six, um, but they're still really important games. And the first one, we have Everton versus Tottenham. Um, very interesting game because both of these teams are fled- basically on teeter-totter, fledgling on this teeter-totter scale of being really close to European football, but also not being very close to it. So it's a must win for both clubs. And I know Tottenham are struggling, but I, I still think they just have a better quality than Everton in terms of just player quality. So I'm going to go Tottenham, Tottenham to pick out 
they're going to get a really squeaky 2-1 win. Like It's going to be very tight, but I think they will win 2-1 Tottenham. That's a really good prediction because I've been going back and forth on whether it be a 2-2 or 2-1. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Everton are and Tottenham, as you said, they're battling for relevancy in this European yeah. Cup. I feel like Everton have had so many games on hand where it's just like everyone keeps saying like, okay, if they just make a run, they're going to be in the top four that they just keep not making that run. They keep losing all those games in hand or drawing them. Mm -hmm. It's like, how did they even end up this behind? But (laughs) I mean, it doesn't matter. I think it's going to be a I'll go with my original prediction. I'm going to go 2-2. Oh, I don't think Tottenham's defense is that bad and Everton's attack is that good enough to warrant two goals for Everton. But you know, anything can happen. And I think it's more likely a 2-2 than a 1-1. I just see a draw. I think it's just they're gonna both going to cancel out and then both kind of, you know, screw themselves over. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, well, if none of us can get in, that's how it's going to be. So it's going to bring themselves down. All right. So that's a, that's a big result there. Then we have Leeds United versus Liverpool. As we mentioned, Leeds picked up the shocking upset win over Man City. Liverpool picked up a big win over um, Aston Villa. Liverpool need to win to fight for the top four chances. So I know Leeds are a tough draw, but I I think um, I'm going with the same scoreline. I think it'll also be a 2-1 victory for Liverpool. Actually, I'll go 3-1. I think Liverpool win 3-1. I know they haven't scored a ton, but they're not playing at Anfield. I feel like Anfield has kind of been a weird uh, voodoo, some weird juju is going luck. on. Yeah, some weird luck has been going on. So they haven't been performing their best there. But away from Anfield, I think um, I think, uh, I think they might find, uh, find some scoring some scoring touch there. So I think Liverpool will beat Leeds 3-1. Leeds always leave themselves very open. So the way Liverpool play, the counterattack, I think it will play in their favor. So that's why I'm going 3-1 Liverpool. Uh, keep up the pressure for the top four, their top four hopes. It's it's funny that like Leeds is one of the teams that has the most goals conceded too because they also have their goalie. His name escapes me. It's like a young Frenchman. But he oh, yeah. has... It's, uh, oh, what's his name? Um... I'm just going to call him the young Frenchman. <laughs> he's just going to be that forever, even when he's old. But he has a decent amount of clean sheets. And that is a little concerning for me. Because like sometimes Liverpool, when they're not in their game, could be a, a, you know, a goose egg, as we like to say. And it could be a nil-nil. But I, I kind of have some belief that they still want to get into this top four. And they're kind of at this point, they have to put all their eggs in the basket. They have to win. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be pretty close to one. Yeah, I, I was going to say his name is um, Mess. I don't know how to say it. Il, 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 Ian Mess, Messier, or how, how do you Messier? Or I, I don't know the French pronunciation because I didn't take French, but uh, <laughs> Messier, 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 or Messi. I thought, yeah, I think Messier, Messier sounds right. Yeah. Well, that that's we know that's a Fulham goalkeeper. It's, the name was escaping us, but um, that is the uh, that is a Fulham goalkeeper, but he's been performing pretty well. Um, but you were going Liverpool win, right? Yep, 2-1. Yep. So I got 3-1 Liverpool. He's got 2-1 Liverpool. And then the last game, Newcastle versus West Ham. As we mentioned, this game has big implications for both sides of the table because if Newcastle win, I um, that guarantees Sheffield will be relegated. And if West Ham win, they continue their push for the top four. However, West Ham are missing Mikel Antonio and Declan Rice. I know they picked up a win against Leicester without those two. But I don't think in the long haul, I don't think they can continue picking up results without those two key players because they do a lot for their team. And Newcastle, I feel like, are finding a little bit of form, even though they've been really bad. So I'm going to go 1-1. This game finishes 1-1 in a draw. 
What? Yeah. Even with Messi Lingard in there? Even with Messi Lingard. I, I still think without Declan Rice and Macau Antonio, it, it's still going to be tough to finish out the rest of the season without those two guys. Against Newcastle? St. Allen, St. Maximum. Dude, I'm going to say 3-1 straight up. Just West Ham, <laughs> West Ham wins 3-1. Domination. <laughs> I may look really stupid with this 1-1 prediction, but um, I'm, I'm sticking with that. So you're going like full-on domination, 3-1. Yeah, I think so. Dang. Maybe like the kid in school that's like, I'm at a 70 already. It's good enough. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go back to slacking. Yeah, I'm already good. Dang. Okay, well, I see that. I see that. I just think that Newcastle may be picking up some form, and I I, uh, I think West Ham um, could be for some regression, but you're going full 3-1. I'm going 1-1, so that we'll means see Newcastle is going to win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're both going to be wrong. Yeah, literally, we're both going to be wrong. Newcastle picks up a shocking win, so... Um, yeah, those were the those were our predictions um, for this upcoming game week. But um, that kind of rounds up episode one thirteen for us. As we always say, please make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube at Premier Pod. You can watch the video versions of our podcast. You can also f- um, find us on any podcasting platform um, at the Premier Pod. Um, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, it'd be greatly appreciated if you could leave a rating or review. Helps us get noticed more and helps the podcast grow. But if not, that's totally fine if you just wanted to listen. But if you want to share it with one of your friends, that's also very much appreciated as well. But any any type of uh, support is more than welcome. You can also follow us on our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram at the premier pod and shoot us any questions you have there about any topics you want us to talk about. And we'll definitely, uh, definitely talk about them and answer, answer back to any questions you guys have. So, um, as we always say, we appreciate the support greatly appreciate it. And that kind of rounds up, um, wraps up episode season three, episode one thirteen for us. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening. Peace. Peace. Peace.